0: As the global community continues to navigate the COVID landscape, the Africa Study Group is collaborating with the truly, Porte of Africa, to explore the current realities of African youth and their perspectives towards a post-COVID climate. The Africa Study Group is an association promoting closer cooperation between Canada and Africa in all relevant domains. Specifically, PSA will be working with Adeola Onofora, who describes himself as an African indigent Invested in creating a bridging fund to promote the African diaspora in Canada. Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Welcome to Pod
1: Save Africa. Welcome to Pod 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 Save Africa. Welcome
0: to Pod Save Africa. Welcome. Legas <stuh-> <speaking Russian> like is a Rwanda diaspora based in Ottawa, Canada. He is an infrastructure economist and has previously worked in private equity in East Africa. Today, we'll be discussing the macroeconomic situation here on the African continent and analyzing what it takes to push the African economies and African countries forward. Please enjoy this conversation.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome back to Plot of Africa. Uh, we have the the, the, the the fantastic privilege of having Nagash here with us, and he'll be sharing a variety of thoughts. But prior to diving into that, uh, Nagash, how about you share with our wonderful listeners who you are?
2: Sure. Um, my name is Nagash Haile. I'm, I'm based in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I'm an economist by training. Um, so I spent uh, the, the first part of my career... Uh, working in private equity in in East Africa, principally in Kenya. Um, And then I started working at uh, the Parliamentary Budget Office in Canada, which is, for any listeners in the US, it's the equivalent of the Congressional Budget Office. And there I was doing a macroeconomic um, and fiscal fiscal analysis. Um, And then I went over to the Ministry of Finance, where I was responsible for principally um sovereign debt um issues related to Canada so Canada's lending to other countries and so development debt and, and and things related to that um and then I kind of made my way around to a couple other departments and I'm principally focused on uh, infrastructure economics now
1: fantastic so uh, with infrastructure economics just just to dig into a little bit of who you are and what you're doing right now what is some of that thinking looking like and what types of problems are you trying to solve
2: yeah well we know like infrastructure is a key driver to long-term economic growth for any country and so now it's a question of what type of infrastructure how do you implement it Um, and then you have to factor in climate change right so climate climate change is a game changer and so does that require more money or does that require maybe a readjustment of the current spending that we have into projects that are going to help protect us um, from the effect the negative effects of climate change and help uh, better prepare us for for a future where there will be more climate related issues. Um, you know, and infrastructure, how it affects us on our on our day to day lives, you know, like and, and how it increases GDP is, is principally related to productivity, right. So when you have good, strong infrastructure, people are able to be more productive. And so a good example of, of it is, um, you know, let's say you live in a remote community um, with no. No access to uh, you know, that, that produces some sort of like raw material, let's say it's a, a mine. Um, and so how do you get those mine, how do you get the the, the, the products to to market, right? So if you're if you're if your small town is producing copper, let's say for example, how do you get that copper to international markets, right? So you need to get it to the nearest port. And this is where infrastructure is essential right and and this is the type of projects that are involved when it comes to infrastructure investment or it's not something that um uh, private companies can do this is something that the, the principally the state has to be responsible for the government because the investments are are quite long and then they're gonna outlive any current uh company right to to a large extent right and so there has to be kind of a Thinking of what are the principal, um, you know, exports and 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 areas of expertise or specializations of, of different economies, and in Canada, it's it's a lot of resources. And how do we structure infrastructure investment to get the best out of these um, out of these uh, out of these particular areas of the economy?
1: Fantastic, and, and just on that point, I think a lot of African countries now are looking to infrastructure as a way to jumpstart or or get the African the African economies moving. But you know, perhaps even even sets a tone for the conversation. We'd love yeah. to get your sense on you know if you were to look at the broader economic, let's say in East Africa um what would you say the state of it is you know who are the who are the star performers who are the folks that are lagging behind and then uh, uh maybe even dive into what what can be done to to
2: change that so for east africa you said yes yeah so for east africa i think it's fair to say that um that you know one of the most diverse economies in in not just east africa but in africa in general and the most one of the most dynamic right so it has various uh, aspects to to its economy is Kenya, right? So Kenya is always ranked pretty high in terms of uh, rule of law, right? So, like when we're talking about economics and we're talking about, um, you know, the, like the the positive, uh, I guess, factors that, that contribute to good economic growth and um, and diversification, you know, we have to talk about governance, right? And so Kenya is always ranked high on 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 the the level of its government institutions uh, respect in respect to other countries. Um, and um, and and it and it has a, a quite diverse economy. Um, and so it's, a, it's it's an exporter of, of a lot of raw materials, but it also has a very tech focused uh, industry or, uh, sector, mm-hmm. um, and then also construction as well has been uh, quite high. And the government has been making a lot of uh, infrastructure investments over the past uh, ten years, right? Principally under uh, the Kenyatta government. Um, so you have the Mombasa to to Nairobi um, railway line, which was a Chinese Kenya uh, project. Uh, I think it was worth up to four billion dollars US, um, and that was to help kind of facilitate the the, the, the flow of goods from the port um, to the capital. Uh, and so where that also helps, like the rest of the region, is that you know Mombasa is uh, the biggest port uh, in Eastern Africa, and so. Uh, a lot of the landlocked countries, principally like Uganda, Rwanda, and other countries as well, are able to kind of access those goods in a in a much uh, faster manner. Also, South Sudan. Um, so yeah, I think Kenya has been has been a strong leader. Um, uh, next year, or sorry, I should say this year, um, I think GDP is expected to grow at over seven percent, right? And that's without anything. Um, you know, exceptional going on, right? So that's that's a pretty solid, um, diversified economic growth that's not focused on one specific area of the economy. And I think, um, you know, looking at some other countries in Africa, but also in Eastern Africa specifically, we see that uh, high levels of GDP growth can be associated with only one or two sectors of the economy, which not to say is something bad, but it's something that has to be factored in when you're looking at GDP growth, right? Because if you only have one sector of the economy that's that's um, taking up a large share of the GDP growth, you have to think about who's benefiting from that, right? If it's not widespread, I mean, you know, there's a famous saying that says, you know, you can't eat GDP, right? So if GDP, high GDP growth doesn't correlate to an improvement in the quality of life of, of the people in the country, um, you have to kind of think about what's the, the merit of like a high GDP growth. And I think, for Kenya um, specifically, I think the GDP growth has been much more well-rounded and uh, much more comprehensive than a lot of other countries. Awesome, awesome, incredible. Uh,
1: Adiola, do you wanna take the next question?
3: Uh, thank you. Um, so it's I know I know we just talk right now about you know just that whole GDP conversation or you know, infrastructural capacity. Um, it's what's the role of the government um, in in all of these conversations? Like what's the role of the government not just in fostering the diversification, you know, of uh, shall I say, uh, uh, income into countries, but also yeah, what's yeah. the role of the government in uh, uh, ensuring widespread participation in social and political decision making?
2: yeah like i I think that's an excellent question and i think it's a question that (laughs) needs to be asked constantly um because you know i don't think there's one answer to that right so i can give you what i think um has been you know best practices around the world and i can give you what um what my personal opinion is as well so i think when you look at countries that are coming from uh um kind of low economic development right and, and they're trying to bring themselves up to uh, like middle-income countries or even more advanced countries right where you have um, pretty high standard levels of living high high quality of, uh, of education and high quality of healthcare, care um, and overall high quality of life um, the government has to play a role and why does the government have to play a role because when you look at what people need to progress uh, to thrive in, in in any society and, and in any country, right? Uh, you're looking at social um, programs and policies and you're looking at health uh, programs and policies, right? And the private sector, unfortunately, um, and maybe it's not unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, is not able to provide that because the incentives are not there, right? And so that's why the government has to be the principal actor when it comes to making investments um, that bring... You know, a, a whole country to another, like a higher income bracket or a higher level of development, right? And it's the go- it's the government that has to make investments, not just for one year, two years, but the government has to think on a very long term scale, right? And so we can talk about that in, in some specific cases, but um, the the role of government is, is essential. And, and so if you look at some examples outside of Africa, I, I would look at. Um, you know, Singapore, right? Obviously, we we can talk about China as well. Um, We can look at some Middle Eastern countries, right? And there's obviously contextual differences between these countries and Africa because every country is unique. Um, But I think what you can say is a common denominator between the level of growth that these countries have had um, within one generation, right? So we're talking about uh, less than twenty-five years, um, has been principally due to strong government, strong institutions, and long-term planning, right? Um, and so I, I think that's uh, that's that's essential. Awesome, awesome. So so you know.
1: let's say, you know, you're, you're, you're president of a country, you, you get, you know, you just won the election, you know, hopefully by particularly legal means and in a fair, fair election, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking back. you're looking on like, Hey, you know, how should I measure my success over the next four or five years or, or six years, depending on the length of your term? what do you think are the, the key like KPIs that that's government should really be trying, especially governments in Africa should really be trying to improve upon. Um, you mentioned health uh, there's as you know childhood mortality. Like, what are the things do you think are important that will long-term, you know, lead to economic growth?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's the standard um, like macroeconomic indicators. Um, so you know, GDP growth, right? Also, growth amongst uh, the various different sectors of the economy, right? So if you're looking at like a four-year mandate, uh, you want to you want to see where the um, the different sectors of the economy are and and Set some target numbers, right, in terms of where you want them to be. Capital inflows as well, so like uh, private uh, private investment, foreign private investment. So like uh, investment coming in from outside the country. That's that's extremely important, right? Um, and that's related to rule of law, right? And so to have a strong growing country uh, or strong growing economy, you need foreign investment. And in no country is or no. No large scale investors are going to invest in a country where there is a higher risk of them losing their money. Right. Or if they see instability in terms of how the government is operating. Right. And that's always been a challenge in Africa. Right. So I would definitely look at that. I would also look at, um, uh, you know, education levels. Right. Like human capital is 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 is, is essential to to economic growth, to long term economic growth. Right. I mean, it's it's the key driver, I would say. Right. Um, and so you need uh, an educated population you need a, a population that um you know is able to compete on a global stage because we're talking about a global uh, a global global economy right so uh, the economies of the world are all integrated somehow right whether it's through uh, supply chains or it's through uh, just simply import and exports um but no country can kind of be isolated on its own and so you need a, a, a segment of your population that's able to keep, uh, to compete internationally um, in terms of education, but then you still need the rest of your population to be, you know, to have strong levels of education as well. Right. And that doesn't necessarily translate into everyone getting, uh, you know, postgraduate degrees. Right. But that can mean, uh, you know, technical schools. Right. Um, that are really uh, uh, focused in on, on training, you um, in areas that the country is good at, so like exporting a, a specific products, right? Um, there's also tech as well, so like uh, coding and, and other um, tech related skills. And then there's the the healthcare indicators as well, right? So there's the the mortality rates, right? The um, it, you know depending on the country and and the impact of certain diseases in, in that in that country, um, you know reducing those figures, right? Um, there's also quality of life indicators. So there's there's a lot of surveys that are taken that that are done in terms of how people feel within their country and i think perception is really important right because um i think it's important for people to to feel that you know the country is moving forward because what tends to happen is that when you feel that the country is moving forward when you have trust in your government, you tend to invest more in your own country, right? And you tend to be more productive because you're more happier. Because you know, there's a whole chain of events that occur, and so looking at overall uh, quality of life and the perception that people have of, of their country, um, and and it also can reveal information about why you know people feel a, a certain way, right? Um, so I think I think these are things to to think about, and then I would also think about climate change as well, right? So what are the climate indicators? You're you're hearing about a lot of uh, flooding, right, in in different places around the world, and, and in some countries in Africa as well. So these are unprecedented levels of, uh, of precipitation that are occurring, um, and so the government needs to come. Up, governments need to come up with policies to help kind of uh, mitigate those those risks. Um, there's also extremely high levels of drought that are occurring in different parts of Africa that are preceding or they're exceeding historical average historical averages so I think these are this is another area that uh, that the governments, governments need to work look at um, uh, and then also fiscal reform so fiscal reform is extremely important in Africa and we can talk about it a little bit deeply but what you have in, in a lot of African countries is is extremely high um, debt levels, right? So you have out of the, uh, out of the 54 countries in Africa, um, you have 17 that are in extremely high debt distress, right? So their debt to GDP ratio is over 60%. Uh, you had a sovereign default in 2021 of Zambia, right? So Zambia... Defaulted on, I think it was 42 million dollar payment on a euro bond, right? Um, so you have these these really high debt to GDP uh, levels. You also have, um, you know, debt, and, and this, I'm, I might be going into too many specifics here, but um, you know, you have a lot of debt being issued in Africa uh, in foreign denominated currencies, right? And that's always a risk, right? Because if you know the country is not receiving revenues in that currency. Um, you know, there's always a heightened heightened risk that they might not be able to make payments on it. You know, and this could be because of like a a, a black. One event like COVID, right, or, or it could be a significant or an event where there's a drop in commodity prices, which is going to reduce the number of foreign uh, uh, foreign currency coming into the country. So I think what other African countries have to look at is is how they're financing their uh, their fiscal gaps, right? And so looking at domestic sources of, of revenue, and it's not strictly taxation, right? Um, it's also uh, selling selling debt, right, in local like currency, right? And creating that environment where debt can be issued in local currency. I think that's that's extremely important. Um, And then in terms of like, you know, increasing tax rates, uh, a lot of there's a lot of literature and there's a lot of talk that, you know, Africa has some of the lowest um, tax revenue to GDP ratios in the world. Right. Um, And so the, the threshold is, it tends to be, uh, I think it's between 20 to 30% of, of GDP uh, that should come from, uh, should come from tax revenue or an equivalent amount. And so Africa, many African countries are, 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 are well below that amount. And so this can, this can pose a particular challenge, right? Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that people are not being taxed enough, it could just mean that the taxes are in the wrong places or in the wrong products right and so looking at a more efficient tax system right that really makes it efficient. Uh, that that's efficient right that makes it efficient for people first thing to file their taxes, because we know in a lot of African countries. Um, it can be particularly challenging, especially if you live in a rural community to pay your taxes right we don't know. People don't necessarily have trust that the calculations are correct, right? So the amount that the government is saying that they owe is is correct, um, and so one of the key indicators of um, of high uh, tax revenue as a percentage of GDP in countries is that there's a there's a strong correlation between people's perception of um, of, of what's going to be done with that tax money right so transparency is important right and that's it goes back to the issue i was talking about about uh, you know people's perception of the government but transparency is important so having citizens know that their tax dollars are being used efficiently they can follow the money they can understand the projects right yeah. and that people are held accountable for those for 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 government spending i think is essential right because in in the contrary if if people have no trust in the government if people think that their tax money is going to be wasted you're going to take extra efforts to not pay your taxes right and to avoid paying taxes um and so this is this is this is really important and it's a and it can be a hindrance for development so. yeah and do you find because
1: it seems like there's kind of a, a catch-22 because um some 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 you know the government let's say a new government you come in the other governments before you has done a bad job with tax revenue now you've come in and you're saying you know hey we're going to be better with tax revenue but it's like the catchment too is that's difficult to prove to people yeah. prior to having actually like you know run the government itself that here yeah, we'll use tax revenue appropriately and, and to your point i think it also affects you know people's ability to even trust governments when they want to raise local debts, like, okay, am I going to give, like, do I trust this government's ability to pay me my money back? All Mm -hmm. that type of stuff. So how do you think, and I guess this kind of leans more on the political science, how do you think government should effectively navigate communicating with their people?
2: Yeah, like, well, I think they should make uh, serious efforts, uh, like nonstop efforts, essentially, to 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 show the transparency, right? I mean, in some countries around the world, if there's a major infrastructure project, they've started to set up YouTube channels, right? So if you have like a, an airport or a bridge or a road that's being built, they have... Uh, a YouTube channel that shows the construction on a on a 24 hour basis right I mean that doesn't cost the government anything in theory right it's just uh, setting up a, a camera and and getting this channel going, but what it does is it shows that projects are actually being done, because one of the biggest critiques of of some governments. Um, not just in Africa, but since we're talking about Africa is that you get projects uh, that, that are going to be used for that are going to that are using tax um, tax funds, but those projects don't ever get built so the money is allocated uh the money is paid to someone or some entity but the projects don't actually end up you know finishing right uh and so that's why you see in some con- some communities especially in remote regions uh, you see um you know dilapidated roads right but if you go back to the capital and you look at the books well like the the accounting shows that the that the road was that the road was paid right and so where you so Smaller projects it might not be necessary, but larger projects, and this is where a lot of government tax revenue is spent, is on large infrastructure projects. I think it's it's quite um, straightforward to show more transparency, and also with the, the the contracting process, right? So understanding, you know, who received bids uh, or who received the contract, and what were the merits of those contracts, and giving the public access to to ask questions, right? Um, so you know you need a level of uh, uh, citizen participation for that to occur. Um, uh, so I think that's 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 really important. But communi- communication and showing that people are accountable for 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 tax revenue, for spending government government dollars, right? And so if there's any misappropriation or misallocation of funding, that you know there has to be uh, consequences so that people can regain confidence in in government spending, right? Um, So yeah. So so to your point,
1: a lot of it is just fundamentally like they have to actually be transparent first, like regardless. And then people can start to build that trust and and that parts and pieces.
2: Yeah, I would say that it's a process, right? It's it's like any relationship because the because you know the government and the people, it's it's a it's a contract, right? It's a social contract, right? And so it's like any relationship. And so you need to build that relationship up through 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 good faith, right? And through efforts, right? And so, uh, on the part of the government, it's 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 on them. They have the obligation, they have the responsibility to show that tax revenue um, is being spent wisely, right, and that people who are working hard um, are and who are paying their taxes fairly are are receiving the benefits of 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 the of, of paying their taxes, right. So this is this is very important.
3: Um, sorry. Thanks, Nigash. Um, and so. I- Interestingly, you know, oftentimes we talk about, you know, economic trends analysis. We talk about, you know, technological trends analysis in Africa, but we hardly touch on the demographic trends analysis mm-hmm. um, around the world. You know, one thing we see is it's a declining population, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but somehow across Africa, it's an inverse, you know, it's a rising population um, and not rising in terms of, you know, one, one, two to one, it's exponential, like, we just, it's blowing up. Mm-hmm. What sophisticated means of intervention need to be carried out uh you know to kind of i won't say arrest the situation but to ensure that that overpopulation across the continent is not one that puts us as a a disadvantage as compared to the rest of the world Mm -hmm. yeah well we know that africa has an extremely high growth like
2: population growth rate um i think we know i think we i think i think on average uh, over the past few years, I think it's 20 million new Africans, I'm talking about sub-Saharan Africa, enter the labor market, right? So that's 20 million people who are looking for, for work every year, right? And I think from the latest statistics that I saw was um in about 15 years, one in every two people around the world who are gonna who are gonna be entering the labor market are gonna be from Africa, right? So these are these are enormous figures, right? Um so we have a young population that's more educated than it's ever been right uh more innovative more creative right and so what can we do to to help facilitate them um you know to be the most productive to be the most productive that they can be so i mean there's there's a lot of things that can be said about that but i think uh principally it's the government's responsibility to to create an environment for these for this young population uh to to be the most productive it can be and so there's there's some specific things that they can do. So one of the things is, you know, obviously um, investing in the right kind of education, right? So that when they enter the labor market, you know, they have the right skills, right? They have the right skills and they're able to, uh, you know, immediately kind of make a contribution to the public or the private sector, right? Um, They can invest in creativity, uh, innovation, right? So you see that, um, in a few countries, uh, Kenya has been, you know, I think a leader in Africa, I think Nigeria has, has done a lot of great initiatives around that as well. South Africa has always been a great player, but, um, you know, they're, they're setting up, uh, like startup, um, startup hubs, right. Um, where young people can go in with, with, with their ideas and try to start up companies and try to apply it in the environment. Right. And see if, if these ideas take off. Um, so I think this is this is going to be really important as well Um, and then uh, access to capital right so young people uh, especially those who are coming from lower to middle class backgrounds need access to capital in order for them to kind of you know turn their dreams into reality right not everyone can necessarily um, you know join the join the labor market and get a job right away and you don't want that necessarily for every for every for any country right you want a a portion of the population to be able to be entrepreneurial to come up with ideas and to be able to be self-employed but for them to do that unless they're coming with another source of capital they need to they need to be able to access capital and that's been one of the highest the biggest problems in africa for for the middle class for the lower and middle class is that they don't have the right access to the capital and specifically what i mean is that the costs are too high so interest rates are just simply too high in a lot of african countries And and unless you're coming with an an equivalent amount of collateral, um, you know, you're probably not going to be able to get that capital that you need. And so this is a real um, this is a real issue. It's it's an issue that doesn't get talked about enough, um, but it's something that the governments can directly influence themselves. Right. Because, you know, they obviously control monetary policy and they're able to direct the interest rates um, of the central banks, which will obviously get passed through to private banks. So I think this is going to be really important, right, because there has to be a level of risk taking for this for this to take off. Like um, and a lot of banks in Africa are risk adverse, right? And so they don't want to necessarily lend money into projects that have the potential to fail. But that's just simply not a good enough reason. Right. Um, You know, there has to be a level of risk taking. There has to be an ability to absorb losses because, you know, out of. Fifty companies that might start up, maybe only three of them will be successful. But those three successful can 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 have the potential to employ tens of thousands of people and become, you know, continental leaders or even global leaders, right? So there has to be that uh, that ability to take risk, and the government has to facilitate that.
3: Akhili, um, if you don't mind, I just have, I just have one quick question to throw in there. Thank you for
0: listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed this perspective in this part one of our discussion about Africa's macroeconomic situation. We look forward to continuing this discussion with Nagas in the second part of this episode. Thank you very much and we'll see you in a little bit. Don't forget to follow us at Pod Save Africa on Instagram and check out our website at saveafricapod.com. Cheers.